Hey, Scott, today's episode, as with our entire podcast, is presented by NeedEssentials.com. I am wearing my Need Essentials shorts right now. I saw on Rob's Instagram, Need Essentials Instagram, that they have three of their colors in their scalp leg board shorts are now available and in stock. So now's the time to scoop some of those up. Huge thanks to Need Essentials for keeping us rolling through quarantine time. And if any listeners are in need of wetsuits or outerwear, NeedEssentials.com is the place. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, freaking guy. It is spit. And we are spitballing, David Lee Scales, and I am Scott Bass. And we're here to talk surf with you on this Tuesday, May the 5th. Is it Cinco de Mayo today? It is Cinco de Mayo. Mamacito Cochito con leche, donde esta su casa mi novia? Entiendo más que hablo y no entiendo mucho. Wow. Do you speak fluently? That's all I know right there. Those two. Okay. Is that a skit from Saturday Night Live? No, it's a skit from my live. Um, are you celebrating Cinco de Mayo? Are you guys doing tacos tonight? <laughs> no, in fact, I have tacos every night. Are you kidding me? I have a. That's all I eat is burritos. That's that's what I'm good for. Burritos. So you're you prefer a burrito over a taco? I do. You can get more food into a big, large flour tortilla than you can into a small little taco shell. I'm Dude, about you're utility. Overlooking, you're overlooking the most important detail is that the girthiness doesn't matter. It's not about how much calories you can intake. It's about ratio. And the taco has the perfect ratio of tortilla to meat to other ingredients. You don't want the, you don't want the meat overwhelming the beauty of the tortilla, do you? Well, I mean, look, first of all, you're a foodie, so I'm going to lose this argument, okay? Because I saw your Instagram account. And you're like making some friggin' like eggplant with pesto and expensive loaves of bread and grilled with olive oil and blah, blah, blah with the fucking expensive but not expensive bottle of wine, which you love. By the way, I got a, I got a, I got a quick look at your girl. She's kind of cute. Oh, really? Yeah. Kinda? Well, okay. I mean, you know, I've got, you know, I'm just going to, that's code for yes. <laughs> Thanks. That means a lot coming from you. Who's always looking for an opportunity at a jab. I appreciate it. Oh man. Oh, do, am I really um, always looking for a jab? I think it just makes the podcast better if you do, or if okay. we do. Um, well, well, at any rate, I uh, totally forgot that it was Cinco de Mayo until this morning. So I do need to, if I want to up, if I want to keep up my Instagram sophistication or prowess, I got to go out to the grocery store and grab some taco ingredients. Taco, not burrito. Oh, yeah. I, I'm Like I said, I'm sort of a utilitarian, you know, like I'm just trying to, if it was up to me, I wouldn't even eat. If I could just like put something like a pill or something. Yeah. Sometimes eating gets in the way of life. Yes. Well, um, you know how, I don't know. Actually, I didn't tell you this, but I did El, El Pastor on Saturday. 
And it was based on Ian Walsh posted an Instagram making Al Pastor. So I was like, dude, I got nothing but time on my hands. Made like a vertical spit that you put into the oven. So when that thing comes out, you just shave the meat off of it. It was epic. What kind of, is that like a pork shoulder? What is that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pork shoulder or pork butt. And then you cut it into slices, like quarter inch slices and marinate it overnight with like um, citrus juice and anchiote paste is the key ingredient there. But like real chili um, based dry rub mixed with the citrus uh-huh. juices. Then you marinate that all overnight, put it on a spit, cook it, and then shave it all off. So one pork shoulder, that's about yeah. six pounds, five pounds yeah. maybe. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Exactly. It's a lot wow. of meat. You have to have uh, – That's it has a to be pretty, non- That's a massive undertaking you just took there. That's a lot. I got a lot, of, I got a lot of time on my hands, Scott, and a lot of interest in cooking, and that's about it. Um, yeah. I actually do – I like to cook too. I get it. No, I know you do. You're meat and potatoes, dude. Yeah. Yes, I am. Carnitas. So here's the deal. I'm just going to break it down for you. Oh, what? It's kinda, I can't really it? see it. Oh. I can't really see it because it's kind of broken and pixelated, okay. but send it to me. It looks killer. Um, um, no, yeah, what I was going to say. Well, I'm going to get, yeah, I'm going to give you my carnitas breakdown. Okay. So I have one of these, okay. um, what are these pots called? Instapot. Are you familiar with this? An Instapot. It's not a crock, it a pot. crock pot. It's a, Okay. No, it's not a crock pot. It's a, it's a pressure cooker. It's called okay. an Instapot. You got to get one of these. You'll love it. So okay. you get a pork shoulder, you cut away as much fat as you can, a boneless pork shoulder, cut away as much fat as you can, cut it up into like, you know, sizable chunks that you can brown before you put it into the Instapot. So you brown the chunks, put them in the Instapot, right? Then there's a seasoning mix that has cinnamon, and some other, you know, salt and pepper, some garlic powder. Cinnamon's kind of the key deal there, right? You put that on there on top of the meat. Then you're going to add chicken broth, orange juice, two cans of diced tomatoes, and a whole can of sautéed chipotles with that kind of dark red sautéed sauce. Dump that whole can mm-hmm. in there. Put the a couple cubes of garlic. Put the um, cooker on for thirty minutes. Pressure cooks. Stuff comes out just falling apart. Right, it just falls apart off of the pressure cooker. You you break it apart. You might cut away some more of the fat from the pork shoulder. Then you put that in a broiling pan. And you put some of the sauce that was in the instapot on top, and you put that under the broiler for about eight minutes. So it gets kind of crisp. So now you have this really juicy pork shoulder, but with a crispy outer coating that my friend is the carnitas. And that's a simple carnita. I mean, that's a simple version of it. Yes. The Instapot uh, reduces all your cook time and makes it simple. Super killer, like mind blowing. There's nothing better in terms of tacos or Mexican food. Pork is the best. Um, protein animal protein and with it you can do carnitas obviously al pastor those rank for one and two in my book way down the list you then have carne asada chicken 
Fish taco is a good taco occasionally, but that one you don't want every single day, you know? Um, but pork is where it's at. The pig has so much to offer. So many different cuts, so many different preparations. You got to get an Instapot. It's going to, it's going to change. It's going to change the way you cook, my friend. All right, cool. Yeah. I'm in. Um, we have a couple of things that we need to catch up on from last time. I got a hilarious text from you mere hours after we recorded our last show saying that your Duke didn't age well, (laughs) (laughs) which is the understatement of the year. Your Duke was Gavin Newsom, which I'm embarrassed to say I kind of co-signed with you. Um, not due to my, I'm going to backpedal, not due to my own research, but I did like everything that you said about him. So I jumped on the bandwagon with you. And my, how poorly that aged and how, how little <laughs> amount of time it took. <laughs> Amazing. I must have been maybe how many hours after I, maybe eight hours after I he did it that. Him. Yeah, he did it that evening around eight o'clock. So yeah, eight hours. Man, so he, he was instantly um, in the sights of every surfer in Southern California, maybe in California. For sure in Orange County. So let's back up. Why did you uh, view him as the Duke? And was he still your Duke that night after you got the news? Well, okay. So he was my Duke because prior to his announcement that he was going to close down some beaches and um, he was basically going to close down all of all of the state, the entire state beaches. Prior to that, he was showing some great leadership, which was needed. He was using science and data to dictate his decisions. And he seemed to be doing all the right things, at least in my eyes, relative to handling this pandemic. He wasn't letting outside forces and the media and um, you know the like protests sort of get in the way of being science-based and data-driven and letting that dictate decisions, which seems to make sense, right? We all believe that the earth is round. Therefore, you know, let's use science. Um, and then in the meantime, he had seen imagery from the past weekend at Newport Beach where the beach was just packed with people laying on beaches and picnicking and playing beach games. And he used that imagery to dictate his next move, which was originally shut down all the state beaches he got some pressure from somebody here in San Diego and in other regions and decided to just pinpoint his hard closure of beaches for Orange County where those images had had man- had come from. And um, I just feel like using imagery and media reports is a lot different than using science and data. Now, I, granted, you saw the imagery you're kind of going, look, these people aren't social distancing. They're not using the beach for exercise. They're just basically one large gathering, which is wrong. But it didn't seem like he was, he even said that he wasn't using science and data. He was using the media reports to dictate his next move there. And and that, you know, so needless to say, Gavin is my kook. Let me just say right now, he is this week's kook. Well, so, uh, the image that I saw that was reported that he had seen was shot with a telephoto lens, um, and shooting down the beach. And it's kind of like that compresses 
all of it. You know, it makes people look like they're a lot closer than they really are. So that's number one. Uh, number two, the reason why those there's so many people on that beach is because all the other beaches are closed. So when you do these things in small sections, then everybody gravitates towards the other thing. You know, it's like so stupid. Um, so it would it'd be understandable if he shut down all the beaches from that point on or opened all the beaches from that point on. But close, closing, closing, closing will get him to the stated goal anyways. So I want to know uh, what else is really at hand here. If he's not using science, he's going reportedly off of a photograph, which is kind of the first time that he's ever done that. There seems to be more behind this decision than what he has outrightly stated. And what you stated about him, and the part of the reason why he was your Duke last time was because let's not make it uh, political, okay? We have a governor, and yes, he has a political affiliation, but he doesn't seem to be leveraging that. He's just kind of leading, and we needed leadership. That was kind of what you were saying, which is what the part that I agreed with. Well, almost immediately thereafter, he made it super political. It seems like his decision to close Orange County was solely politically based, and uh, that's where it's most offensive. Yeah, there's no doubting that Orange County is Republican. Um, it's probably the one of the reddest portions of the state, as far as you know. The most amount of Republicans probably live in Orange County. I don't. By the way, I don't have any statistics to back that up, um, but I'm, I've been told that that's the case. Do you? We don't you use, back me up there. Or? We don't use statistics on this show, anyways. I well, <laughs> we go off telephotos, photographs for our evidence mostly. <laughs> anyway, it's it's basically conventional wisdom that Orange County yeah. is pretty Republican, yeah. and and it's I've been told that in fact the Orange County Board of Supervisors is filled with Republicans, and that the, when they snub their nose at Gavin Newsom by saying, "Hey." Our beaches are open. Go enjoy yourself. And then Gavin saw that image and maybe he used that image to go, oh, okay, well, let me show you who's really in charge here. I'm going to shut everybody down. Right. And then he got pushed back from San Diego and LA and other areas. And so he goes, well, the image came from Orange County. So I'm going to uh, hard close the beaches yeah. in Orange County. Well, I'm sitting in Orange County right now. So I'm going to read from a couple of news articles, if that's all right, Scott. Please. Fine. All right, cool. So in the 24 hours uh, after Newsom ordered all beaches closed, there were two lawsuits filed by the cities of Huntington Beach and Dana Point, and the OC sheriff said that they will not enforce the order. And uh, very shortly thereafter, large protests began in Huntington Beach and also other local beaches, but also at the Capitol building in Sacramento. And by the way, Scott, I just checked the surf cams before we got on this and there's people surfing at Huntington right now. There's people at the pier. There's people up and down the beach surfing. The waves aren't great, so it's not that crowded, but there's people in the water. So these restrictions are not being enforced by Huntington Beach um, officers. Anyways, on OC Register, they reported that Newport Beach Councilman Kevin Muldoon asked a federal court judge to overturn Newsom's shutdown of the county shoreline. The federal suit fired by, filed by Muldoon alleges that Newsom's edict violates the public's constitutional right to enjoy Orange County's 41 miles of beaches and unfairly singles out 
Orange County for the closure. Quote, the governor's actions appear to be based more on politics applied to one county in California rather than sound scientific guidance, evidence, or regard competing, uh, or for regard competing constitutional concerns. Uh, outdoor activity is important for physical and mental health. Freedom of movement and access to California's beaches are fundamental rights, and unless total or broad interference with those can be proven by the government to be necessary and also related to fulfilling a compelling government interest, this interference is unconstitutional. Um, and so as you stated on April 28th, uh, Newport Beach City Council voted five to two that they would actually keep their beaches open. And then the following day is when uh, Newsom made that edict. And let me see what else. Um, from the, uh, the attorney of that Newport Beach councilman, the attorney said, if a state or local ordinance crosses the line from an appropriate exercise of authority to stop the spread of COVID-19 into an overbearing infringement of constitutional or statutory protections, the government or the Department of Justice may have an obligation to address that overreach in federal court. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I can, I can take it a bit further and tell you that the city of San Clemente mayor, Gene James, posted on Facebook, and I quote, I will no longer cooperate. I will no longer be complicit with the tyranny of Sacramento. I will instruct the San Clemente chief of police services not to cite any citizens for trespassing or any order from any government agency other than the San Clemente City Council. I will instruct the Chief of Police Services not to restrict the lawful access to San Clemente beaches. So that just adds another one to the ones you mentioned. That one's pretty strong using the phrase tyranny of Sacramento. Yeah. And basically saying my city is above the state. I mean, that's that's a lot of pushback. I mean, that them's fighting words, basically. Yeah. But you know what? When you treat people, when you treat responsible adults like their children, this is what happens. And there's been a breakdown of uh, true leadership. People want to coalesce around leadership, right? And there's been a breakdown of leadership from the White House down. Governors are defying presidential orders. And now you have cities defying their governor's orders. And by the way, individual citizens that mean? individual citizens defying all of it yeah right and you know, i mean like my kids are defying my like it's come it's come right down to the to the like the common denominator my kids are like denying my they're not taking out the trash <laughs> what happened how'd you lose control well, it started at the top man it started at the top blame trump for your kids not taking out the trash <laughs> full full trickle down um so, I mean, I actually kind of want to ask you about that because that seems almost more interesting. Um, are things, has quarantine in the Bass household started to create uh, issues and factions and what's happening? No, no, I was just teasing. I was just kind of joking, adding on to what you were saying. No, everything's cool here. We, Our main thing is we play, I think I mentioned this to you already maybe, but we play hearts every night as a family. We play a card game known as hearts. Perhaps you're familiar with it. And 
whoever loses has to do the dishes. Oh, that's so it's been it's it's been cool. It's been cool. It's been good. Everything's um, fine here. We all get along. We're all adults for the most part. Yeah, I know, but tight quarters can make even uh what is what is the Ben Franklin quote? Um uh, fish <laughs> fish and house guests go rotten after three days or something like that. And your even though they're your, they're your kids, they had moved out for a short period, hadn't they? Well, the, they had. They both were away, and they're back now because of the quarantine. It's good though. It's kind of a COVID-19. gift. It's a gift, man. Yeah, Would you be playing yeah, no, it's, hearts with kids in any other scenario, you know? No, no, no. This was the last case scenario. <laughs> 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 it's come down to this. Yeah. Well, my, you know, so the, the beaches here have opened and my son's a lifeguard at one of the beaches. So he's like back to work. Oh, you know, really? working the, yeah. Do you have any fear for his health and safety? If there are congregating people on the beach and he's essentially a frontline responder at this point. I don't know what to think anymore. I mean, you know, at some point we have to live our lives. I, 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 I see, I tend to waffle. It kind of depends where I'm at in the middle of the day. You know, like some days I'm like, yeah, social distance, wear your mask, you know, listen to the scientists. They're telling us what to do. They're the smart ones. You know, I listen to my doctor. Why wouldn't I listen to the scientists? They're experts. And then other times I'm like, what about evolution? Like, what about Darwinism? Like, this thing, ha- these things happen all the time. They're not, it's not good. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying pandemic, you know, like since the beginning of man. Yeah. There's so, been bugs, you know? Yeah. And, and the, the way that we develop immunity to them is by exposure. Obviously that's how these things get treated traditionally. Um, but this newsome story, the reason why it's so relevant is that it reflects a clear abuse of power for political agenda. And so you have to now look back at the last two months of news that was reported and put it through that filter. I mean, we're already somewhat mistrusting of um, certainly of politicians, but also of news. And so now we have this scenario where we're like, look, is the threat, there's certainly a threat. Okay, so what level is the threat? Well, it's probably not nearly as severe as it was reported in some cases. And the level of social distancing that is required for kind of the healthy, for the human evolution to have the healthiest response to it probably is different than what we had been advised on. And a lot of, I don't know, the decisions being made have nothing to do with public safety right? They have to do with these things that we're seeing from Newsom now with closing down the beaches. So we're, you and I are trying, we're waffling because we're trying to figure out where we land on each of those individual decisions. And the reality is it's not being locked in your home for three months with the entire economy shut down. It's also not hugging and kissing everybody every time that you see them. It's somewhere in the middle, you know, but you almost have to make a decision at this point. Yeah, I mean, originally, right, the idea was to not overwhelm the hospitals. Like, let's flatten, the idea of flattening the curve wasn't that you and I didn't get sick. It was that let's not all get sick at the same time. And we did that. And the hospitals, we think, 
are more or less, you know, like it's still problematic, but I mean, it's not overwhelmed, right? There's, they're not setting up, you know, triage units at the local high school gymnasium, you know, like the Hogue hospital where you live probably got a few ICU beds available, you know, probably not very many, but my point is, is that we've, we've flattened the curve. So, okay, it's time to kind of start living our life unless this wasn't about flattening the curve. This was about nobody gets sick. If anybody gets sick, we're screwed. Look, people are getting sick. Like it's going to happen. If you look, and again, I, I don't want to spout off here too heavily because I'm not an expert. I'm just a, uh, an armchair, you know, scientist, kind of like you, you know, like, so yeah. I don't, I don't want to sound you, as if I know it all. You don't, but, but you based do on what kids, I've seen, you have, you do have kids, you have economic interests. Those, those that are dying. Like okay. if you look at those that are dying, especially in San Diego County, a majority of those that are dying are 70 years and older and have pre-existing conditions. That doesn't mean it's okay. Right. I'm just saying, I think if we go out and social distance and wear masks and then just live our lives and go to restaurants and do this stuff, you're fine, more or less. Look, there's going to be an anomaly. Like I might get it and die. I'm perfectly healthy. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But it seems to be that when you look at the people that have died in San Diego County, it's old people with pre-existing conditions. Well, right. that's what bugs are supposed to do. They're supposed to go in and wipe out the ones that are like, you know, the low, low hanging fruit, so to speak. That's what evolution is. That's what Darwinism does, right? Yeah. Maybe it's not Darwinism, but for sure evolutionism. And so, you know, I, I don't know, man. It seems like we should be living our life, you know? And yeah, there's going to be deaths. There's going to be more deaths than normal because of this thing. Like that's part of it. Like, again, I, I you know, do I want it to be my, uh, the, my elders in my life, you know, my parents? No, you know? So, okay. I'm a hypocrite, but yeah, I don't know, man. Some well, point we got to start going. Yeah. Well, um, Tough one. you know, I think, the, the with any I don't want to jump too far ahead here because I got more on uh, beach reopenings and stuff, but I do think that there's tremendous growth potential after this, and often that's where the largest um, periods of innovation come after World War II. For Japan, certainly after they got a bomb dropped on them, whenever there's these really significant um, decimations there then is fertile growth for brand new ideas and just a new way of doing things and often rapid growth. And I think the surf industry, if we want to make this podcast about surfing, the surf industry, Dave, I had Dave Parmenter on the podcast years ago, one of the first times I had him on the podcast, and he warned about a surf in industry apocalypse. Just dude, things are bloated. Things have been done the same way forever. Like there needs to be radical change. There isn't that much progression in any facet of the industry at this point. And I see this moment as being that coming to fruition. Like brands are going, legacy brands that you and I have known for a long period of time. Uh, well, they, I guess a lot of them filed BK before this happened. So that was an early indicator, but this is going to decimate clothing industry. A lot of board builders every aspect of the surf world. And it's going to displace a lot of really talented people. We've already started to see that the Hurleys don't even work for Hurley anymore, you know? And so they're smart people 
who have means, who have nothing but time on their hands. And I'd say coming out of this, we are going to see a radically new, arguably better version of the surf industry than we've been living with for the last decade or two. There will be radical advancements in um, supply chain and distribution for how products get to consumers that'll reduce a tremendous amount of waste and expense. There'll be radical improvements in board building, probably from a construction side as well as a design side. And everybody's also going to learn how to do things for less and be grateful for them. So I think it's scary right now. Everything, all the uncertainty is scary, but there is optimism if you look at history anyways. Well, speaking of optimism, what, let me ask you this. What's the one thing that you want to do when this thing's all over? Like I was talking to my buddies, like, you know what? I'm just going to fly to Maui. You know, like I can't wait to fly to Maui. So what's the one thing that, that you want to do or where do you want to go? Like, what are you missing? I, for you, maybe it's probably a fine restaurant or a road trip to Sonoma or I don't know. What is it? Yeah. I don't miss restaurants at all. Strangely, um, travel is the number one thing. Where are you going to go? Where's the first place you go? Italy. Really? I would, Italy would, (laughs) Italy, oh, well, I mean, Italy would be at the absolute top of my list. And especially if, I mean, if, uh, you know, it's cheap, I would imagine it will be cheap. I would imagine they'll be eager for tourism and a lot of tourists would be apprehensive to go there. So that would be super high on my list. Like Milan? Not Milan necessarily. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But yeah. Why, why do you ask? Because I think it's a valid question. I think everyone's sort of chomping, like everyone's kind of got that thing that they would want to do, you know, like maybe, maybe it's go to mainland Mexico or maybe it's go to Indo or, or, you know, maybe it's order a new board. I don't know. So what do you, what don't you miss? What have you realized uh, became rote in your life and you were doing every week or whatever, and now you realize you don't miss it at all? Um. Well, restaurants for sure. I've never been big on restaurants anyway. I don't, I think they're, I just think they're overpriced. Every time I go out to eat, I'm like, God, I just got taken for 50 bucks. Yeah. You got out cheap if it's 50 bucks. Um, It's honestly, that's the number one thing that I don't miss either. I spent so many, I mean, three days a week going to restaurants probably prior to this. It was just a part of our social life, meeting friends for drinks or whatever. And it's wildly expensive not spending that amount of money has been like falling in backwards into a fortune. It feels like of just money that I was had allocated to something that is so frivolous. It seems so frivolous to me now, you know, what about Starbucks? So I don't patronize Starbucks. I go to a local coffee shop and I still go there. And I, um, I've actually been going there maybe even more frequently during quarantine than prior. Uh, Number mainly just to support them, you know. Yeah, and tipping yeah. heavier than I ever have before too. Yeah. So um, back to uh, beach closures, Laguna Beach. Basically, after that um, closure from Newsom, they submitted plans to his office, and last week on Friday, and then got approval this week on Monday. We're recording this on Tuesday, so starting today, the beaches are open weekdays from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. for recreational activity 
only. The beaches will remain closed on the weekends. Laguna Beach submitted a four-phase plan, which includes first opening beaches with limited hours. Phase two includes limited hours both on the weekdays and the weekends. And then phase three is regular hours um, on both weekdays and weekends. Phase four would then be full opening. And there's no timeline yet for each of those phases. But again, it got approved. So I think this was a real smart and practical way for them to handle it. Like, hey, you guys are unreasonable, but we're not going to defy. Sacramento is being unreasonable, but we're not going to defy Sacramento just at large. Here's our plan to kind of negotiate with you and meet in the middle. And thankfully, Sacramento um, approved the negotiation. So I saw Ian Cairns, who's a... uh, Laguna Beach local now was out this morning with his SUP getting a couple of waves. So that's good to see. Well, um, surfers did organize a few protests that I saw on Surfline. There was that one big one, right, that made the national news in Huntington. That wasn't really a surfers. No. That protest was going to happen anyway. It just so happened that they got to kickstart it because of the Newsom, Gavin Newsom, the Governor Newsom situation. But there were some small surfer-only protests. That t- Did you partake in any of these? One of them was at your home spot. Heck no. On Saturday, there was one at noon in Huntington Beach and one at noon in Seal Beach. Um, apparently, the water was cleared by lifeguards at 11 a.m., and that event in Huntington never gained momentum. While in Seal Beach, according to one local, everyone showed up at the pier and they marched out onto the sand then we're threatened with fines and everyone walked away. <laughs> so the one that I saw in Laguna, the one woman, you know, it's always going to be the crazy, the craziest person in the crowd who's kind of like leading the charge of the protest. And then unfortunately often drives the protest off into a ditch because they're kind of wacky. Well, that one woman in the Laguna beach protest, um, the cops were on the sand and she went and like, charged onto the sand. The sand was kind of the boundary line. So the protest was civil and up to the boundary line. And then she decided to cross that line into the sand and was shouting for everybody to join her, but they weren't. And so she's just (laughs) by herself and there's like a thousand people not joining her. And then people, the guy filming who is probably taking refuge in the fact that he's the cameraman. So he doesn't have to go cross the line. He's shouting at everybody else, get out there, go join her, you know? And the cops surrounded her. They pulled out their handcuffs. Like they were going to handcuff her and people started shouting down the cops. And they were like, Hey, you guys, what are you, are you for real right now? You guys who are residents, presumably of orange County think that this is okay. You're going to arrest this woman for going onto the beach. This is absurd. So the cops ultimately didn't take action. Then slowly but surely enough people creeped out onto the sand and then people were going and swimming in the water in their jeans and everything, full defiance. And the the police just decided not to enforce the law in that moment. So I thought it was actually kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of moving to see the protest kind of work, you know? (laughs) I mean, again, it's kind of a, this isn't exactly civil rights. This isn't exactly suffrage. You know, it's not like, um, like that important of a movement, but it kind of is because it really does have much deeper implications about the way that media and politics are, you know, allying to 
pull the wool over our eyes, it feels. By the way, this thing, this COVID-19 situation has done a great job of burying and hiding culturally significant events and moments in history. And one of those is, this is the 100 year anniversary of the women's right to vote. And that's just getting pushed way to, this year. Oh, year, this year's. Year 2020. Yeah, 1920 was the year that they got to vote. The women got to vote. So that's just going to be, no one's even going to talk about that. And it's kind of a bummer because that was a, that's a huge deal. Totally. What about um, NASA releasing the footage of UFOs? Exactly. Nobody cares. They're like, whatever. <laughs> can, it, can it kill COVID? We want to know if it can kill COVID. People are more into the murder hornets than they are into the UFOs. How scared are you of murder hornets? Very scared. I'm very, very scared. I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy toilet paper. Let's just put it that way because the murder hornets are out. That is the most important thing that we need to know about the murder hornets. Do we need to buy more toilet paper? Um, well, so this whole idea about beaches uh, being shut or surfing being outlawed has um, broken the lines of beyond just surf media. This is now in mainstream media. The New York Times wrote an article or actually had a op-ed written by a gentleman named Zoltan Itzvin. And I just want to read the first paragraph of this article, Scott, and then you tell me what happens to you internally. He said, quote, many surfers like me believe that surfing is more than just a sport. We consider it a way of life. Being in the ocean and riding waves can be ecstatic and spiritual, end quote. Okay, you can see the vomit that's forming at the corners of my mouth right now. <laughs> Seriously, no, everybody, everybody fell asleep. Everyone's like, turn the page. Where's the crossword puzzle? I'm out. Dude, the lamest, most trite intro to any surf article ever written. And as I'm reading it, I'm going, okay, yeah, but I mean, I'm a surfer and I've said those words. And like I read the billabong, only a surfer knows a feeling hashtag, you know, uh, slogan when I was 13 years old. So this feels so trite to me. However, it's for a broad audience. Maybe the broad audience doesn't know these things. So I wanted to give him a pass. And I read his article and his article is basically just saying that you should be allowed to surf. Um, yeah. And he's up Here's in. Yeah, go for it. Well, he's right. Like what he wrote is, is correct. The problem is, and you and I have espoused on this for a long time, many different times, but it's nearly impossible to convey the feeling yeah. that you and I know exists. And, and people have tried to do it on celluloid, on video, in words, and sometimes they pull it off in photos. It's just a losing cause. You cannot in any way because and that's because it is spiritual it's you cannot put spiritual stuff in paper and get it and and get the point get the the depth of it across you know what's the closest medium what podcasting but of course <laughs> nailing drop the keeping mic. the stoke alive for these drivers in their car oh, as they sit on the freeway going to work um essentially way, i got I got a bunch of uh, people were stoked on us talking about the golden nugget, the original Mike Hinson. Um, I got quite a few people and you, maybe you saw some of these too, oh, but yeah. people going, Hey, we'd like to see more of Scott's quiver. We'd like oh, yeah. for you guys to talk about Scott's quiver. 
that's something we need to think about. I don't know the best way to actually facilitate that in, in this podcast format, but we, we should, need to I mean, once, figure it out. Once quarantine is over, we should do a video about it, like video and do into, we'll do like a full video and then do individual boards. And then maybe each episode talk about a specific board and then release the video with it. Yeah, for sure. One board of an, an episode. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we could do what we did last time, which is just talk about the board and you ask me questions and I talk about it and organically a discussion forms around it. And then we post pictures of the board in our Instagram. Um, back. I want to come back to that in just a second. Cause it's going to be a deep dive, but I do want to finish up with that New York times article. The more important Please. thing, the more important thing that I thought about that, like is ultimately what Zoltan is doing is directing people to the beaches that he names in his spot. Like he's in Northern California. He talks about the County that he's in and he talks about uh, the specific spots that he grew up surfing, why he loves them so much. He is driving traffic and surfers to those spots. And it made me realize that I've been doing that through this quarantine conversation talking about, because previously up until that Newsom order, Huntington Beach was one of the only ones that was open in Orange County and nothing was open in LA County. And me talking about it like, oh yeah, well, if you go surf at this zone, I never named the zones, but I gave enough information to people know which zones they were. I was saying those zones are uncrowded and those, and I'm kind of doing it now again. And we're really defying our first rule of being a surfer by blowing out the spot. I know surfers are the worst. I know you don't realize what you don't realize what you got till it's gone. Scott, they pave paradise and they put up a parking lot. <laughs> oh my. Um, so at any rate, that Zoltan piece. Interesting. By the way, do you have the red tide up there? Yeah, we have. Okay. I've got some info about the red tide. If you don't mind. Sure. I'm going to bore the living crap out of everybody with some scientific knowledge perfect so everyone's everyone's aware that the red tide is an algal algal bloom a-l-g-a-l algal bloom and the reason this one's so robust david is because of the massive rain we had in southern california so we've got all this rain runoff going into the ocean and then on top of that right after that what happened david we had a massive heat wave and that's a perfect storm, a red storm, if you will, for a red tide, for an algae bloom. This one, Lingodelinium polyedra, is the algae that is guilty. And it's uh, robust, as I mentioned down here and up there. And it's like within all of Southern California bite, this, this red tide. What are the concerns with algae, with the algae bloom? Or are there any? For, for surfers, there aren't any really i mean there i guess there's this one type of bloom called i think alexandria or something that can maybe have some toxins that are could be dangerous for humans but this is not one of those uh, i think at the very worst occasionally with a red tide i'll get kind of like a stuffy nose or maybe a little head cold or something maybe an ear infection i haven't noticed that yet uh, so basically there's nothing to be worried about it's just it's rather dreary. The other day, it was sort of gray, marine over, you know, marine layer and overcast morning. A slight little onshore 
wind and this brown breaking surf. It was rather apocalyptic. It was, it, it was like all of the dreary sort of vibes and colors all coming together at once, you know, onshore gray and brown. Except at night, it does that bioluminescent thing, which is super awesome and uh, photogenic, you know? Yeah, a young Marine died down here, got swept away in the evening looking at the uh, bioluminescence. Um, anytime something sketchy like that happens, the news media never says it, but I'm always like, um, drugs and alcohol, you know, like for most sure. people to go look at the, uh, go look at the ocean, don't get swept away. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, okay. But ale allegedly drugs and alcohol, rest in peace. Well, yeah, Obviously. allegedly. I mean, we don't, I'm just like nine oh. out of 10 news stories are drugs and alcohol related. They just never mention it. Well, and yeah, that alone, it's like, it's not, if you're visiting a Southern California beach, it's not as if you're, um, in a tsunami zone or like in Hawaii when the waves are pumping and they're going to get taken out by a rogue set, you know? Yeah. There's something nefarious exactly. for sure. Um, yeah. So back to your Xanadu. Yeah. Have you, have you ridden it? How great was it that I posted a picture of me buying it right after the, uh, podcast that wasn't that right after the podcast. It's almost as if you talked about buying it on the podcast and then you went out and executed what you said you were going to do. Strange. Wait, I did do that. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not strange at all. It's precisely <laughs> what you stated. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that in sort of a, you know, in a behind it was, Hey, let's help out the surf industry. No, in front of it was, hey, let's help out the surf industry and surf retail and buy a board. Behind it was, oh, Scott gets a new board, out right. of this, which was great. And yeah, I've been riding it. I've been enjoying it. I'm still trying to, I've only ridden it twice. So I've got to give it some time. I'm a little out of shape. I'm trying to get my mojo back. I've had some moments on it where it felt incredible. I've also had some moments on it where I stumbled to my feet and couldn't get my act together and the wave passed me by and that's more user error than, than the board. And so right. uh, more will be revealed. Okay. Um, is that a normal learning curve when you get on a new board? I think so. Especially one like this, this is not something that this is the design is pretty far off from what I normally ride. Right. So give me some time. Have you ever gotten on a new board and felt the immediate, like yes, magic. The, the golden nugget, the golden yeah. nugget. Yeah. That one board, that's the one where I was like, Oh my God, instant speed, just going wherever I wanted it to, to go. It was just, but to your point yeah. with the Xanadu, that it was probably um, similar to a design that you had already been writing regularly. So it wasn't like a huge jump in, in board design, right? The golden nugget. No, I think it was actually, I had right. never really, I don't think I was riding any fishes prior to that. I'm trying to reflect back here, but yeah, I don't know. Then that one was, that one was, it was like a, when they gave, when Sean Madison handed me the golden nugget, I was like, this thing looks like a dog, you know, it was really wide and kind of thick and a little bit beat up and what didn't, it wasn't like something I'd been riding. Yeah, that's interesting then that it it 
went from having really low expectations to actually blowing past those on its own and uh, proving its worth. It's interesting. Yeah. Board, boards are weird, yeah. man. Boards are, they are weird. You're out. Usually the uglier, the better. Yeah. Um, you know what I watched since we last spoke based on your recommendation? Uh, the last dance. I did just, I've only watched two episodes so far, but yeah, it is amazing. It's good, right? I, that was my era that I was, uh, born in 81. So in the mid to late nineties, I was in high school and loved basketball. I had my Michael Jordan hat that I wore through like a lot of my youth and adolescence. Um, I was such a huge fan. I, it's weird how distant that feels to me now and how I'm so not a part of that world anymore, but watching it, pure nostalgia swept over me. And it was like, oh my gosh, this was all that mattered. And every single person knew who Michael Jordan was. And incidentally, I see Dennis Rodman now because he lives in Newport <laughs> Beach and he has for like the last 20 years. He used to go to our yeah. church you know, 10 years ago, our family church. Um, so he'd be there with his family. And like, I saw him as little as a month, a month before quarantine started. So maybe two months ago, I saw him randomly having a drink outside of a restaurant that I walked by. Um, so, and he's a part of that legacy as well. So anyways, the sheer domination of the bulls in that period was never really seen before, never really seen since. And just the singular talent of Jordan himself. I mean, he couldn't have done it without the team, but any team would have started winning titles if Jordan was there to kind of his talent to coalesce all of the rest of the players behind him. It's a pretty magical moment. Yeah, you nailed it. It's a great show. I hope I hope people are watching it. I'm sure it's getting great ratings. There's no other real sports programming that's worth a crap other than replays of hockey. Well, the other detail that is interesting is the um, general manager of the team. I forget his name. Having an ego. Jerry Krause. Yeah, short man complex and wanting attention and him getting none of the attention and him bringing in Phil Jackson as coach and then Phil getting a lot of attention and salary increases and all that sort of stuff. And the GM basically subverting the team's best interests because he wanted attention and trying to break him up and certainly getting Phil Jackson to leave and all that sort of stuff is really, really crazy. You, you have this team that could not lose unless the organism eats itself, you know, which always ends up. Yeah. Happening. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been good and you're going to enjoy the rest of the series here as we move through it. I think there's two more weekends left. 10 episodes in total, maybe. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Super psyched. Yeah. Uh, what else you got? Uh, not too much else. I do. I do have a story. I think I've shared this story with you though. The, the most scared I've ever been in the surf. Did I tell, tell you this story? Salsa Puedes? No. Okay. Puerto Escondido? Nope. You shared a Salsa Puedes story where your arm got dislocated. Should I, should I tell you this story? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was 1997, and um, this is the most scared I've ever been Okay, um, while surfing. 
and I was 30, I was 32 years old. I'm arguably at the top of my surfing game. I'm in great shape. And um, Puerto Escondido was on my list of two mainland Mexico beach breaks where I would go every year. And um, I rented a bungalow and up on the hill there overlooking Playa Zicatella. And each day, each day I'm the first guy in the water. I'm cracking it at dark. That's my strategy, right? The first 45 minutes of light, you can catch a ton of waves. There's just a couple of other guys that are on the same plan as you. Everyone's spread out. And um, that's always been my modus operandi. Um, there are two Kiwi guys living next to me in a bungalow next to me. Really great surfers, super good guys, big wave chargers. And they tell me that there's a big swell on the horizon. The next day, this, it's going to be huge, you know? And I'm like, okay, cool. So I've got a 9.6 gun and I've got a 7.6 pintail. And um, the next day I'm up early at dark, like I always am. And, and I can tell it's bigger, but it's dark, but you can just kind of sense it. You know, there's like a mist in the air or whatever. And you know how it is like, for whatever reason, there, there was sort of a vibe I was getting. So I wasn't sure what to do, but I, gr so I grabbed the seven, six pintail thinking, you know what, if I need the bigger board, I'll come in and get it. And I walked down the, have you ever been to Puerto? No. So you can walk north towards the harbor, towards the town, and you can paddle out with a dry hair. You know, if, if you go down far enough, you can paddle out dry hair. So it's dark. And, and so I go down there and I paddle out dry hair because I really don't know what I'm getting into at this point. And I start to inch my way down towards the lineup and it's starting to get lighter. And I can tell it's the swell's huge and it's chaotic. You know, it's, it's got morning sickness on it. It's a gray morning. There's no offshore winds. It's kind of got a variable wind breeze on it. So that's, it's kind of crumbly and capping and it's big, but I'm not sure how big it is. Again, it's because it's a gray morning. It's sort of hard to figure out exactly what I'm dealing with surf size wise. And, um, and again, I'm the, I'm the only guy out, you know, usually by this time, as the light starts to show up, there's a few other guys, as I mentioned, like me who are on my same plan, but nobody else was out but me, you know? And I'm like, Oh fuck, this is kind of heavy. And, um, a solid 15 foot set comes in and right away I'm like, Oh, I'm on the wrong board. Like this, this set is like, you know, five waves, massive peaks moving fast, but also so big that it kind of is moving in slow motion at the same time. You know what I mean? But when it broke, it broke with the gumption of an 18 second, 20 second interval swell, like so much power. And I know I'm on the wrong board and, and I know that there's probably no way I'm going to catch one of those set waves on a seven, six, you know? Um, so now I'm like, okay, I got to get in, you know, like I'm, I'm in the impact zone. By the way, now I know everybody is in their hotel room on the beach, drinking coffee, go checking the waves and going, look, there's one guy out. Let's we'll see what happens. So my ego is not going to let me paddle back to the Harbor and just paddle in, you know, now I'm like, I'm going to catch one wave in and save my ego and do the right thing here in front of all these people. But I know I can't catch a wave on the seven, six. So now I'm like, when there's not a set, I'm scrambling in a little bit, hoping to catch a wave. 
And then a set comes and I'm scrambling back out, you know, and I do that a few times. And sure enough, um, I scramble back out and I'm just kind of sitting there kind of going, okay, fudge, you know, like this, what's my next move. And a big old bomb left kind of comes in like not down at far bar, but more in the middle of the beach. I'm sitting where the right hander comes in, which is kind of like the Northern side of the beach. And this left comes in right in the middle peak. And I'm kind of in position and I paddle up to it just to kind of see maybe I can catch the shoulder. And this thing breaks so mean and so nasty and so viciously that it, it made a sound. This wave made a sound. Like it, this wave growled at me. Like I've never heard, like it scared me. Like the sound of this wave scared, scared me. I was like, oh my God, I've never heard that before. It was insane. And now I'm just freaked out, you know, like it's now I'm like, I got to get in, you know, like it's getting gnarly out here. And so I do it again. I kind of paddle in a little bit, trying to catch a little insider. Don't catch it. Turn around and here comes a set bearing down on me. So I'm scraping, I'm paddling. I barely get through the first wave, barely get through the second wave. I mean, barely, like I'm almost getting pulled back over. The third wave comes and I'm not going to make it, but I'm at the top of the lip. So I just throw my board, hoping my leash is going to handle it and swim through the wave and pop my leash breaks. And I'm out there now at Puerto Escondido without a board. Oh and it's just, it's just insane. And so now I'm like, oh, I, you know what? There's only one thing to do and that's paddle it. Just start swimming in. Like there's, there's no other options, you know? So I kind of catch my breath. I think that, you know, there's things have settled. Maybe it's not a set right now. It is a long period swell. So it's allowing me the opportunity to kind of go for it. Right. So I, I swim in and I go through this process of just, you know, basically getting my ass kicked, you know, like body surfing 12 foot waves, just taking mouthfuls of water, getting tumbled, coming up, being, you know, 10 feet from the beach, but not being able to get in because the backwash is so intense and, there's got now there's guys on the beach. Everyone's like, there's guys on the beach, like in front of like the lifeguard tower or whatever, just people walking along the beach watching me, you know? Yeah. Guys that I know, like the like the Kiwi guys and other people that I know from just being down there. And eventually I, I get in, you know, and I'm just I'm just cooked, you know. I'm just like it, it took it out of me, took it out of my ego, took it out of my physical sense. And it was a it was a mind, it was a mind-blowing day. Yeah, mind-blowing morning. No, did not catch a wave. At least you didn't get, uh, you like have to duck dive one of those things though. Dude, there's no duck diving. There's no well, duck diving. You're you know what I mean? Your yeah, but even still, at least you didn't have to do that with one of those set waves. Yeah, I got pounded a that, few times. That's insane. Uh, that's horrifying, man. Well, I hope the story is as good as... Uh, well, we can all relate to it. We can all relate to it. Not in that fifteen foot scenario at Puerto, but we've had minor scenarios that give us that same feeling. Um, from that era that you're talking about, those years, remember all those, all that footage coming out with Todd Morcom down there. Yes, exactly. Same dude, era, dude. Yeah. That stuff blew my mind when I was a kid. Those videos. Yeah, he would stroke into this thing 
that like you're talking about, it's just like this mountain and it looks like a closeout. And you're thinking there's no way he's, it's going to jack up. Like there's no way he's going to make it to the bottom of that wave. But he was, I, I don't know whose boards he was riding, but he's riding really long, narrow guns, uh, leashless. And he would somehow just like get to his feet at the top and that thing would hold like kind of knife into it. And he'd get down mid face and start bottom turning and the thing would start heaving. And it looked like a closeout that was stretching the entire beach. And he would just gun it and get blown out. And the thing would be three times overhead easily just gurgling and blow him out. And he would do it time and time again. It was insane. He was a madman. Yeah, that was, yeah, he was a great surfer. And those boards were, I'm not sure they might've been, uh, they might've been barks maybe, or maybe that he just borrowed some boards from somebody down there, like Greg Russ or somebody who knows, you know, I don't think so. He was on Quicksilver at the time and he was getting new boards. Um, oh, but I just probably from, he was an East coast guy, but he might've been, who knows? There's so many, so many boards down there too. Yeah. Who knows? I just remember thinking that style of surfing or that, what he's doing is very different than what I have any interest to do in surfing at all. And it really takes, I mean, that's an adrenaline driven thing. Um, very different than my Southern California surf experience. And I, I'd like to surf Puerto, but not at that level, you know? So. Yeah. Just imagine those Morecambe waves, but onshore gray, a little crumbly and just kind of, you know, like a morning sickness morning, you know, like yeah. where it's just, everything's out of sorts and it's kind of gross. I mean, even on, its, even on its best days, it still has a lot of closeouts and a lot of ones that look yeah. perfect, look perfect that end up not being perfect. Right. Yeah. It's gotta be offshore too. It's gotta be offshore. You know, there's no, way any little, any little semblance of an onshore breeze and everyone just goes in. Right. 10 AM, 10 AM. It's over. Exactly. Um, well, I know you have a heart out, but I do have musty moment and Duke and kook to, uh, get us through the end of the show. And actually it yes. reminded me, this is not a, a musty moment, but, um, talking about being 32 and at the peak of your surfing and athletic prowess, how's the footage of Derek Ho at 55 recovering on that drop at pipe? Did you see that footage this week? No. Oh my gosh. No, I haven't seen that. I'll send it to you and I'll post it. Um, he drops in and he's like, basically his back foot comes off as he's dropping in. So again, Derek Ho is 55 years old. He paddles into a set wave at pipeline last week. As he's dropping in his back foot, uh, comes disconnected. Like he's actually off balance. So it comes up and off. And he thankfully, like with his, with gravity, just pulling him down, thankfully his foot actually lands on the back of the board. So it reconnects, but as it reconnects, his weight kind of shifts back too much. This is all happening like on the drop as he's bottom turning. So his reconnecting and being off balance pulls him up under the lip fortuitously and the lip breaks like an inch away from his head. So now he's readjust. He's like getting shot up the face of the wave based on that readjustment and then falls kind of back on it, his heels weight, which makes him readjust perfectly down the face of the wave as the wave is gurgling the opposite way. So each time the wave undulates is when he happens to be by fate 
readjusting his stance and a mistake that he had made. So it's not all just luck. There's obviously a tremendous amount of skill, but it's this crazy amount of skill mixed with luck, mixed with the wave gurgling in a way that would only suit this particular circumstance. And he makes the barrel. Like he makes this insane drop, this insane adjustment two or three times, and then gets blown out. And he's even surprised that he was able to pull it off. But it's it's heroic. Amazing. So, nice. I'll have yeah. to check that out. I'll send it. I'm uh, a big fan. So, and by the way, that was the opening wave of an eight minute edit from Mason Ho that's worth watching. It's not my must see moment, but there was actually a few worthy vids this week. Uh, that being yeah. Um, yeah, Mike. Was that the Mason Ho on a single fin edit? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's writing other boards too, but he is writing a single fin in it. Um, Mikey Wright's edit is worth watching, but my must see moment is Taylor Knox. It's labeled 48 is the name of the video. It's because Taylor Knox's age is 48. And let me just tell you, Taylor Knox has not missed a beat from when he was 28. The guy is absolutely shredding. Yeah, Taylor Knox is kind of my hero now. Like, I want to be Taylor Knox. You know what I mean? Like, I want to, I want to be able to rip into my 60s. You know, not maybe not rip, but I want to be able to shortboard. You know, he, I want to be able to do my thing. And he's he's on a program. That's the thing. You got to get on that program, dude. You got to get on the arc method. You got to start meditating and eating right and then stretch. I do those. I do both of those things. I do that. Do you? What am I doing wrong? Because I do all three of those things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you got to do it to the level that he's doing it. And you had to have the original yeah. talent that he had to, I think. Oh, there's the, there's the problem. You need talent? Yeah, unfortunately. Shit. I'm out of luck. Uh, I'm out of luck. So that's my must-see moment. My, um, my kook, I don't know how to really, where to exactly land this kook, but Stab Magazine posted a article from a 20-year-old who submitted a piece about uh, why California beaches should open. Did you see that? Yeah. No. So the article is entitled, A uh, Brief Argument for Why Coastal Californian Towns Should Be Opened. And um, they put an editor's note and said, the following op-ed was submitted by Caden Spencer, 20-year-old San Clemente residence. And then they closed out the piece by saying, with their editor's note again saying, don't like Caden's opinion? Try this counter argument from our staff writer, Jake Embry. So they're really padding this piece to uh, not to attempt to not cop any of the blame. But it's basically a 20-year-old San Clemente resident saying, um, we have the right of free speech and you should not close our beaches because we have the right to be on our beaches. <laughs> and it's... Uh, okay. It's... So again, the kook, I don't want to call the 20 year old a kook because he's really going out there and he's trying and he's like submitted his piece to his favorite, presumably surf publication. And by golly, they published it for him. And now he's just copping tons and tons of heat. So I don't want to call him the kook. I don't really want to call stab the kook because, you know, 
I don't know, maybe you give aspiring writers a chance, but then padding it at the beginning and the end, basically trying to defer or deflect any of the blame is interesting. And honestly, I mean, they probably just shouldn't have published the piece. The piece belonged on the inertia and it's really not Stab's business to publish op-ed pieces. And this one wasn't a particularly well-written, provided zero new takes on this conversation that everybody has been having um, and really kind of just put a lamb to the slaughter. Like the kid copped tons and tons of grief in the comment section. So kind of a kooky Uh, all the way around. Yeah, that's too bad. I do have a Duke for you though, Scott, to end on a lighter note. Please, please. It's an unlikely Duke. It is Adriana DeSoto, Mm. Felipe Toledo, Jadson Andre, Miguel Pupo, Peter Santo, Yago Dora, and his father, Leandro, for putting up prize money for their Bico Bronco challenge. Are you familiar with the Bico Bronco challenge? Oh, yeah. Everyone knows about it. Sure. Well, you should know about it because this is the exact reason why Brazil is going to trounce America and Australia for years to come. So, Leon, uh, Iago and his dad, Leandro, spearheaded this thing. And they're like, look, right now, COVID crisis, times are tough. Surfers, even the top level surfers, are getting um, making less money, basically. They're certainly not earning prize earnings. But even their sponsors are holding off or cutting back their, their paychecks or furloughing them. So what they realized is this junior series is suffering even more than the elite level. So junior series who go around and make contest earnings probably have very little sponsorships, aren't making any money. So what we're going to do is we're going to get a prize purse together and we're going to hold virtual contests that we all vote on and the internet at large votes on. So they got thir- they started an Instagram account called Bico Bronco. They have 32 surfers, 20 from the QS, four from the Pro Junior Series, and eight from the Pro Circuit rankings in Brazil. Each surfer submits video footage of one wave. That wave is judged by the public and the four CT surfers. And the top two advance where they then elect to post another you know, round of waves and they judge that. Prizes are $5,000 for the winner, $3,000 for the runner-up, 1.5K for third, and then $1,000 for fifth place. Yago Dord said, look, we know it's not a lot of money, but it's definitely something that will help unsponsored surfers who aren't able to compete right now. Sorry, we got construction going on next door. I don't know if you could hear that. Um, so yeah, we can. my point is, Scott, bravo to the Brazilian surfers for doing something like this for their youth. Holy mackerel, dude. What's going on over there? Construction. It's crazy. Um, look, I agree with what they're doing. I mean, I get it. There's, there are some problems, obviously, you know, there's, there could be a lot of, you know, bias in this type of format, but I mean, that's stating the obvious. It's good that they're trying to, you know, solve a problem. And I would, I would agree with you that, um, they're definitely worthy of, of that just for trying to get in the solution. Hey, this is exactly what Americans need. This level of patriotism and helping out of the younger surfers and also like, um, 
creating some sort of an incentive for them just to elevate their game. This is why we're not winning world titles, dude. We don't even have a world title contender in recent years. So, yeah. Yeah. I, so my musty moment is, I don't know if you saw this longboarder on surfer mags website. Um, his name is Ben. I think, did you see this? Ben? Oh, Mendel's Mendel. Yeah. Yep. Nick. So there's a pretty cool little video edit of him ripping Sano. The guy's mind blowing. Super killer. Nick? I think it's Nick Mendelson. Uh, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Well, you've seen the guy then. You know what I'm talking about. Listeners should maybe you can post this on 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 with this feed with our with our podcast, but it's pretty good. I mean, it's actually no, it's very good. The guy's surfing is incredible. Yeah, he's amazing. That's my musty moment. I like it. I enjoyed it. Okay, well, thanks, David, and um, thank you guys for listening. Until next week, adios and aloha. It's always summer in the southern state where I'm behind the moon, floating in space. But I'm not in hiding, just trying not to be found. So when I hear my name, I never turn around.